Welcome to another episode of the Replant Bootcamp Podcast, the Boots on the Ground podcast for replanters by replanters with your host, Bob Bickford and Jimbo Stewart. Here in the trenches with you doing the gritty and glorious work of replanting dying churches. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital, the church website and branding partner you need to help move your church forward. Whoa, pig suey. All right, all right, all right. Look, I, you know, Bob, I, I've come to the conclusion. I don't think our listeners really care to hear that much about college football. I don't know that we need to talk about it. There's nothing really to talk about about college football this week. Just because you lost, Jimbo. But, hey, it was a close game. It wasn't a beautiful game by any means. But it was just kind of a ugly, close game. But, you know, overtime win for the Hogs. First time in, what, six years, I think, like something like that. Yeah, yeah, it was a good it was a good hard fought battle between two mediocre teams. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, it could have gone either way, but once once or twice a decade we got to let you get, let you have the boot, I guess. Well, I appreciate that, and I'll be bringing the hog hat with me to New Orleans at the end of this month, and so we'll get a picture of you in the hog hat. And we can share that on uh, so the social medias since we uh, had me in the pajama top a couple of years back. <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess we can. We'll 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 stick to it. We'll stick to that. No, I had a absolutely wonderful time in Arkansas with my family. I want to go ahead and apologize now to my parents' neighbors for the amount of yelling <laughs> and screaming <laughs> that they heard as we watched the game on the back porch. There's no telling what they thought was happening. But I'm not sure they they all. I'm sure all my dad's neighbors listen to this, but this podcast. And, and so, just I'll go ahead and apologize for how loud we were. Had a great time seeing everybody and getting to watch the game. There were all sorts of bets had. So there was, I mean, highlights and hair with a chalk marker. There was all kinds of things. But we had we had an absolute blast. That's good, man. That's good. Well, what are we talking about on the boot camp today besides Arkansas LSU? Well, besides that, I just left at the Jacksonville Baptist Association, one of my favorite meetings that I get to be a part of every month here called the Pastors Advance. And it's a group of pastors. It's an open group. Any pastors in Jacksonville can come be a part of it. And we usually choose a book to go through, kind of a chapter at a time, just to give us some structure. And, And that's a valuable discussion and time. But man, the relationships that have been developed in that group over the last few years have really been robust. And uh, we just that I just was thinking about that as we were preparing for this episode. We had put a post. I'd put a post on social media saying, hey, what would you like to see us discuss? And uh, one of our listeners, Dusty Marshall, the the LARPing pastor out of New Mexico that that also has a, a podcast of his own about replanting and marriage. He posted something about talking about how churches could partner together as an association or just with other pastors. And, and so we kind of wanted to riff on that idea a little bit, it, which dovetails well into the end of last week's episode where we talked about friendships in ministry. And one of the last things we ended the, the previous episode with is the importance of pastoral friendships, because there's an element that being friends with another pastor can give you that is hard to find outside of another pastor, especially with a church member. And and the stats, Bob, really aren't good as far as pastors and friendships and their mental health. And some of the things we have from pastorswellnessresources.com is 70% of pastors do not have someone they consider a close friend. 
50% of pastors do not meet regularly with an accountability person or group. 70% of pastors constantly fight depression. And 90% of pastors say they have not received adequate training to meet the demands of ministry. Yet, we keep pastoring alone. We keep doing it on our own. I, I just think this is such an important conversation for us to talk about. I, I would even say part of the, the question that we were given uh, by Dusty maybe wasn't specifically about this, but I just wanted to emphasize that on the beginning. One, to dovetail with the end of last week's episode, and then two, just to show, man, one of the one of the reasons we need to network and one of the reasons we need to partner with other churches is we just need friendships amongst other pastors that understand what we're going through. We talked about that some last week, but I just want to start off with that. I'm like, if, if for no other reason, there are plenty of other reasons we're going to talk about some of those. Man, look, look to partner with other pastors and churches because it starts to develop relationships and friendships that will be incredibly valuable to you. And if these stats are true, and they seem true to me, well, then most of us need this big time. You're right, Jimbo. I think most of the studies that come out year after year indicate that pastors are lonely and isolated. And some of our boot campers are lonely and they're actually, they are physically isolated from other pastors, right? So they're in a a small congregation in a rural area, There are not a lot of other churches around. Maybe there are not a a lot of brothers from the same tribe and family. And so they find themselves just in a really awkward position or really difficult position, I should say, where they're in need of encouragement. So one of the great things that is true for many of us is through the years as we pastor different places, we've made some connections with guys that have lasted, right? And so that's been a really awesome thing. And so when you see them at an annual meeting, a state convention, or the SBC, it's really good, and you leave refreshed fr- from that. But there's a lot of downtime in between. And so this is an important topic for us to, to really address for, for guys. Yeah, I think a lot of us can tend to be a little bit like Elijah when right after he has this great moment in First Kings where he has gone against the prophets and he's seen God bring down fire and show his miraculousness and he runs off and he hides. And in First Kings 18 and 19, multiple times, he, he whines about, it's me and it's all me by myself and I'm all alone, Lord. And, you know, the Lord responds with a few things. One, he's like, hey, idiot, you're not alone. I got a lot of other people. Um, and, and then my wife always loves to point out, she uses the memes that have been out there based on this passage about like, sometimes, you know, the Lord told Elijah, gave the Lord, gave Elijah a snack and told him to take a nap. And she loves to point to that. And sometimes what we need is a snack. We need to take a nap. And one day I said, yeah, but keep reading the passage, right? Mm-hmm. And if you keep reading the passage after the snack and the nap, God looks at Elijah and says, what are you doing here? Mm-hmm. Why are you still here? And multiple times, God has to kind of prod him to get back to work. Mm-hmm. And so part of this, as I would say, is isolation and loneliness and suffering in general are a part of this. And we definitely in one episode can't completely fix that for you. And so maybe you need a snack and maybe you need a nap, but you also need to to keep working and you also need to stick it through and do what God has called you to do at moments and for seasons that might lead to some serious isolation. I think you need to work to not be isolated, and we're going to have some suggestions of how you can do that. But just recognize that this is part of it, and so don't whine about it. Get your snack, take a nap, and get back to work. Those are really good things. I think many times when we go through uh, difficult events, and really this this 
episode in his life was precipitated by a difficult event, a ministry showdown, right, where God came through and he had the victory. So most of us think that the downtimes will come after defeats, but that's not true, right? And so this passage that we're looking at, like he had an amazing victory, and yet one little threat after an amazing victory, like was the end all ender for him, and he tanked. And isn't it just like that? I mean, like everything can go well, and then somebody who just wants to pop off and say something real silly that that's not true and it's not going to happen, they just ruin it for you, right? So you're like everything that just happened, I'm going to ignore that and set that aside, right? And and so I think one of the things is allowing yourself to physically recover even after a big victory, not just a big defeat, because there's there's still some things that are going on likely in you physically and emotionally and spiritually after a big victory. And maybe we, we're not told in the story, but maybe there was this expectation that this was just going to be the, the first point on the rise, right? And so from this point, this victory, everything was going to go great. But, but Elijah gets this critical comment by Jezebel, and then he runs away and everything falls apart and he's depressed. So I want to, you know, I want to point that out. And then it seems like to me, Jimbo, that there's this conversation where he has to, he has to admit and own why he's where he is, why he is where he is. Right. And so there come excuses. There come the, you know, the, the pointing to Jezebel, their the enemy, this and that part of getting healthy is resting and eating well, but also I think there's verbalizing through prayer what's going on with you, right? And so one of the best practices for me is just to sit down with uh, a journal and journal. And I don't journal like physically w- with pen and paper, but I'll do that with like a jump drive and a Word document and, and my computer. And it flows between like, you know, prayer and then observation, self-awareness, confession, you know, listing out things. And so through that process, I think the Lord's been really gracious to me to help me see things in my life that sometimes will stay hidden. And one of the interesting things, one of the Christian counselors that I was seeing for a while said this, he said, when you are writing about what's going on in your life, it accesses a different part of your brain that allow, that that you don't examine unless you do that practice of writing. And so one of the things I think is important for us to know is we've got some things maybe inside of us that we have not been fully aware of or we've buried a little bit that are that are contributing to where we find ourselves. And so getting before the Lord and digging some of those things out, I think is incredibly helpful. I think it's important to point out the difference between solitude and isolation. Mm-hmm. When, when you talk about going by yourself, journaling, getting those thoughts out, processing those, that's solitude. Solitude is healthy. Solitude is biblical. Solitude is pursuing your relationship with Jesus. It's pursuing emotional health and spiritual health, if not physical health, in solitude. And I highly recommend high amounts of healthy solitude to keep you healthy. The difference between that and what Elijah did in 1 Kings 18 and 19 is Elijah pursued isolation. So solitude is pursuing health and pursuing your relationship with the Lord. Isolation is running away from people. Mm -hmm. And you need to, there's both of those involve you being alone, but one of those is healing and healthy. And one of those will just, will heap onto the depression and make it worse. And, And one of the things we have to understand is part of the reason I think we end up not pursuing partnerships with other pastors and churches is we have this consumer-driven competition mindset of, well, what if my members go to their members, or I feel intimidated because their church is bigger than mine or healthier than mine. And sometimes people don't, churches don't collaborate because they are not close enough in proximity, like some of the guys we've talked about that are that are physically isolated where they are. And then sometimes they don't 
partner just because they feel like they're competition. And I want to tell you, kingdom-minded collaboration is the antidote to consumer-driven competition. I don't know if you've ever noticed this. One of the things that blew my mind when somebody pointed this out to me is in the Lord's Prayer, every pronoun is plural, right? When, when the, the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray, he taught them a, a way to pray, and every single pronoun was plural. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, right? Our King, give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our trespasses. There has always been this communal, community mindset to what God has designed in us for ministry. And there's a great quote from the book, Missional Friendships, from our friends at Acoma Press by Vinay Samuel that says, partnership is not just a project, not just a committee making decisions and sending money. Partnership is expressing the very nature of the Trinity, the Godhead himself. Partnership is expressing koinonia, the way in which we, as those who are made in the image of God, live together. That is the high challenge we have. That is the expression of the kingdom. I'm convinced that we we have to move beyond a competition mindset and have kingdom-minded collaboration where that is possible. And I think it may be more possible than, than some people think. I think there are so many different ways that that can be done. At the church that I pastored in a replant, Redemption, man, we partnered with several churches on a regular basis to do community nights of worship, to do Disciple Now weekends, to do BBSs, to do block parties, to do all sorts of things. We tried to very rarely ever do any form of outreach event on our own. We tried to, anytime our church did an outreach event, we tried to always find other churches we could partner with together just to show that partnership and do that together. Such a good point in multiple points there. I, I think that a couple things just in, in processing that, because I my mind always goes to the how-to, right? How do we do that? We've highlighted the principles and the values of that. So one is you've got to push yourself in a place where you can meet other pastors, multiple pastors, and you got to do that on a regular basis. So if we've got some replanters or revitalizers that are moving to an area, man, get involved in that association, maybe invite several of the pastors out to lunch one at a time, get to know them, try to hang out with them and, and get to figure out you know who they are and what they're about, and then see whom the Lord really kind of knits your heart together with. Because here's the deal. We're going to be really close to some pastors and we're going to be friends with others, friendly with others. And so I think that what helps you have a, a higher degree of opportunity for good friendships with pastors is being around pastors multiple times um, over a season in life. Now, granted, if, we are, if we're staying at a church or pastor's tenure at a church is five years or less, you don't have a whole lot of time, right? Because you're doing a lot of different things. So I think make it a priority. Right? Make it a priority to spend time with pastors and, and do that. And then I think you've got to take a risk and be vulnerable. They're, they're Jimbo. I've met some pastors right away who, like within the first three or four minutes, man, it's like all about numbers, all about you know the latest this and the latest that, all about the program and stuff like that. And if that's if that doesn't resonate with you or you feel like that's setting up a foundation of competition, man, what I would say is like note that, keep on moving, be friendly with that brother, wish him well, applaud the the you know, good work that he's doing and that God's giving uh, them some fruitfulness in and then move on. And you're going to probably find a brother who's 
uh, heart is shaped like yours and, and whose passions and understanding is like yours. Now, one of the things I would say too is don't only be friends with people who are just like you. You want to be friendly with some folks who are going to challenge you as well. And I have a friend, a good pastoral friend that I know I can talk to about anything. And here's what I also know. He's probably not going to agree with me. Like I can just guarantee you like right up front, he is probably not going to agree with me. And that is good. And that is also challenging, right? And he disagrees in a way that invites me to examine what I have just said or the belief that I'm holding in the light of another thought or in light of scripture or in light of another person's experience, right? Plenty of times he affirms me, plenty of times we agree. But I say, if you can find some friends that you can have disagreements with, not in the sense of like, okay, well, we fundamentally disagree and we're not going to be in relationship together, but somebody who sees the world different than you and, and challenges your view of the world. Because you mentioned that isolation, man, there is nothing that will cement a view in your mind and your heart more than just living alone with that view by yourself for an extended period of time. And so take a risk, bring that, you know, bring some of those thoughts out, have some conversations about them. And then if you have a brother who sees it differently and tells you that, then don't look at that as somebody who shouldn't be friends with. In fact, I would say that might be somebody that you definitely should be friends with uh, who can help you have a different perspective. I think learning from people who have a different perspective than you is kind of a lost art these days. It seems like if we don't line up on everything, we kind of write people off and assume that we can't learn anything from them. And man, I think we can learn from anybody, right? You got to learn how to, one, let your perspective be challenged, two, learn how to eat the meat and spit out the bones, right? And and be able to learn from that perspective. Talk about having lunch with pastors. Uh, a friend of mine who's a pastor in this area, Scott Ellison, uh, he's a First Baptist McClinney, I believe. And he, um, man, he shared something with me the other day that was really challenging. I'd, I had not thought to, to approach lunch with pastors this way, but he has lunch with a lot of pastors in his area. And what he does is he'll listen to one or two of their recent sermons before they go to lunch. And he'll bring up like, hey, man, I just finished listening to your sermon on Luke chapter nine. And, and I love the point you made about such and such. Man, there's so many good things about doing that right? One, it encourages the other pastor. Hey, somebody actually listened. You're the one guy that downloaded the podcast episode, right? Two, it it really breaks, I think, tear downs that that competition wall pretty quickly. And then three, it kind of raises the bar on them a little bit like, hey, people are listening to your sermon, so you ought to do a good job. Mm-hmm. I think, but I think it brings a connectivity in so many ways. I think that's a smart thing you could do as you have lunch with pastors. I think try to have, try to do it in triads, try to do it in threes, try to invite two pastors. And that way, if one of you guys doesn't connect, maybe the other one does. And that just helps the kingdom anyway, right? I heard a phrase today in the monthly meeting that I was talking about. I never heard this phrase before and I looked it up on Amazon. I've not read this book, but there's a book called Refrigerator Rights. I had never heard that phrase, but I thought it was awesome. So I'm not recommending or not or unrecommending this book, but just that idea of refrigerator rights, subtitle, why we need to let people into our hearts and our homes and our refrigerators and how to bring even more close relationships into our lives. That idea, there need to be people who who are in your life enough to call you out on things. Gordon McDonald calls this capital F friends in ordering your private world. Mm-hmm. You know, we've talked about the fact that we are co-laborers with Christ. We need to have pastoral friendships. If you are isolated, even if you're not isolated, there are cohorts you can benefit benefit from. Uh, Practical Shepherding partners with NAM to do a really great virtual cohort. 
Joe Wright uh, out of the Bivocational Small Church Leadership Network does a bivocational cohorts. There, there are other cohorts that you could be a part of that are virtual. Mark Halleck, our buddy in Colorado, he has cohorts that he does that are virtual. There are ways that you could get connected to some of those if you're so isolated and so rural that you can't get near somebody. But even if you are in a rural spot, it would be worth the effort and the gas money to find a guy within a day's driving distance and y'all just meet halfway once a month or twice a month and, and be there for each other to build that. But I think beyond the friendship part, encourage your church to have missional partnerships, both in look for partnerships of churches that are going to partner with your church, be a receiving end of that. You can pursue that. We could do a whole other episode on that maybe. And then also go ahead and challenge your church to give partnerships, figure out what church plant or whatever replant or mission partner that your church could be a part of. And there's so many ways, like we talked about, you could partner to do D-Nows, do outreach events, summer camp for youth. There's so many ways you can think outside of the box to start partnering and building relationships. But the one mistake I see a lot of guys make is they just complain that they don't have that, but they're not taking the initiative. So take the initiative. Be the guy that sets up the lunch. Be the guy that goes to the associational meetings, even the ones you don't want to, even if the meeting is, and, and this is not about your attendance at the meeting and anything like that, but just go regularly, build those relationships, and then see what happens out of those relationships. Go after it. Don't complain about not happening. Don't sit in your in your cave like Elijah and just whine. Go after it. Go after building those partnerships and relationships, even if it's difficult. It's a good word. Some of the best conversations I've had have been with pastors that I've taken the opportunity to get to know and spend time with. And and so I've got a group of about three guys here in the city, three or four guys that I'm just like, man, if I had any kind of issue that I needed to process with, or if I just needed to go hang out with somebody, these would be the guys. And there's laughter, there's seriousness, there's prayer, there's encouragement, there's challenge and all those sorts of things. And I, I mean, I wish that for everybody. And one of the, the great places to find that is in the local association when they're connecting pastors and giving pastors an opportunity to, to, uh, to meet one another. And and, and to do the business of the collective group of churches in a particular city, but also giving you the opportunity to develop deep relationships with guys that are doing ministry and in the trenches right along with you. Yeah, I would say regardless of where you are, this is a non-negotiable, both in friendships and in posturing your church to partner with other churches. I think both of those things are non-negotiables. And so you're going to have to get creative depending on where you are. If you're super rural and isolated, man, there there are ways. You, I mean, you could... You can hang out at the the fire station. You could be a part of the Chamber of Commerce. You could coach Little League. You, I mean, there there's something. There's some way that it may not be with other pastors. It may not be with other churches, but there are probably partnerships within your community. I guarantee you there's some sort of natural networking opportunity that you could take advantage of. And if there's not, man, reach out to us and we'll help you figure it out. Uh, or find a guy within a, within a, a day's drive and just make it intentional. I've got a pastor friend that I, I intentionally, at least once a month, and, and we're like 45 minutes to an hour from each other. And we meet in the middle about once a month and just catch up on what's going on in each other's lives, encourage each other, be vulnerable with each other. But our churches have also done denials together and other things like that. That's just an introduction. If anybody uh, wants more on any of these subjects, let us know. 
put it in the comments, one of our social media posts about this episode. Let us know how we could dive deeper into the subject for you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Replant Bootcamp Podcast, a resource for replanters by replanters. If you enjoyed this episode or found it to be helpful for you and your ministry, please help us get the word out by subscribing, sharing, and leaving us a review on your favorite podcast listening platform. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital. 180 Digital is a team of design, development, and marketing experts that love working with churches, big and small. Check out 180.church, O-N-E-E-I-G-H-T-Y.church to learn more about how 180 can help your church move forward.